Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, let's take a moment. I just want to pray before I bring this word. I feel it's an important word and uh, just see what the Lord does. Father, I bless your name. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're speaking to your church, not only here but around the world. And we thank you for the fact that you have raised up prophetic voices, people who are hearing you, speaking out your words. And We just pray, Lord, for wisdom and how we do that and how we tune in and how we respond and how we set ourselves up to be the church, the community, the the kingdom of Christ on earth that you've designed for us to be. I just pray, Father God, that this word today um, will enhance that in the best possible way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The, The title of my message this morning is Ready or Not. And how many people have ever played hide and seek? Do you ever remember playing hide and seek? Maybe you've got kids or you've had kids. Maybe you don't can't think back that far. I don't know. But uh, hide and seek was a game that I remember playing as a kid that I really enjoyed. Um, but it was kind of like a group game where you made a few rules along the way. So you'd say to the person who... So one person had to hide their face while everyone went and hid, right? And so they'd have to hide their face and they'd count to a certain number, whatever the group decided. So you've got to count to 20. So the group says, you're counting to 20. Okay. And then they turns their face, hides and counts to 20. One, two, three. And get to 20 and it's like they turn around, open their eyes and say, coming, ready or not. And the idea is that by the time they've turned around, you're supposed to have hidden you know, and a lot of kids, I found, um, could never make up their mind. They'd run to a place and look, not good enough. And they'd run to another place, not good enough. It's like 18, 19, oh, I'm running out of time. And they're trying to find a place to hide. And then they finally find their place to hide. Do you remember that? You probably do it all the time, don't you, Ruby? Yeah, hide and seek. And, and so they finally hide, but then sometimes they're like standing there and then they turn around, ready or not, I see you. And I'm like, ah, you know, why didn't I just get my act together earlier? You know, I knew the plan. I knew the rules. You were too, weren't you, right? So the thing is, right, this is just a game, but it's interesting that when you look at how kids play games, it's obvious that sometimes there's this correlation between what we as adults do in our life. And I find hide-and-seek to be quite interesting because Jesus said something about him coming back one day, and he said, you know, I want you to be ready when I come back. You know, it's a lot more. It's like he's in heaven. He's not doing this, by the way. But can you imagine him in heaven going, one, two, three, you know, coming, ready or not, you know. Um, but then, of course, Jesus also said, and, and Peter said it, and Paul said it, that we've got to be on guard because the enemy comes around like a thief when you don't, least expect it when you don't know he's coming and he's coming in to do something too and so I get the feeling that as I look around the church as I look at analyze my own life analyze the lives of I'm a bit of an analyst don't I (laughs) but you see you talk to people all the time particularly when you've been in pastoral ministry for a long time you get conversations going and you hear little statements or questions or and when you notice a pattern and you, you notice it maybe in your own life or you notice it in somebody else's life or you notice it in general. So as a pastor, I've often come across this one phrase, why is this happening to me? Like, why? I heard it twice in the last 10 days, I reckon. Why me? Like, why am I experiencing this right now? You know, I heard somebody say, but I'm not even walking close to God. Why would the devil want to... Like, like, literally, that was the... That was literally almost word for word. I'm not even like doing anything. Like, why would the devil want to attack me? You know? And then you got these other folk who, you know, like, it, it's like everything's going wrong. And then you, they look across, and it's kind of like what Sonia was saying during communion, you know? You, you can be sitting in your cave looking at it, some, some other David killing a Goliath and going, oh man, you know? And you look at your circumstances, and people often do that, that we look at our circumstances, we wonder what on earth is going on. And oftentimes, and 
So I analyze then, for instance, I watch people slip away from the Lord, and so I analyze it, and I sort of say, how did that happen? Like, they were really close to the Lord. And you hear stories of pastors who end up committing suicide or, you know, going off the rails or getting into some kind of relationship they should never have done. And, and, and you, you look back to some of the times you've heard them preach or you've heard, you've encountered God in them in such a strong way. You wonder, how did that happen? Like, what on earth is going on? And you raise your kids right. You know, uh, Proverbs says, raise up your kids in the way they should go and they shall never depart from it. And then you do that, supposedly, as you think you ought to. And then, you know, 10 years down the track, they're gone, they're, they're off doing AWOL stuff. And you're going, what? Like, I'm sure I did it right. <laughs> you know, you hear those stories. They return to it. Well, they will not depart from it. They return to it. Maybe they return to it. Maybe they, regardless of what it says, we try our best, right, to raise our kids, and sometimes they go away well. And we think we've done the right thing, and we think we're doing all right. And, and we get to a point, I think, a lot of folk, and myself included, where I, I question, being an analyzer, I question. I look at my own kids. I look at my own journey, and I ask the question, what happened? Why? Why is this so? And uh, it's interesting that there's a few things that are identified in Scripture where it's almost like Jesus is saying, um, be ready. Be ready. Right? Regardless of whatever you're doing, be ready. Be ready for my return. Be ready for the enemy's involvement in your life. Be on guard. Paul says it. Be on guard. That your enemy, the, en- the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, you know, what's, I've said it numerous times before and we've read it many times in scripture, what's the devil's job description? Steal, kill, destroy. Job description of the enemy. What's he trying to do? He's trying to shut you down. He's trying to block you from your mission. He's trying to block you from engagement with God. His aim is to get you out of sync with the kingdom and with your relationship with God so you're ineffective in this life. And we ask ourselves, well, when things go wrong, why has it gone wrong? You know, and the enemy will come in the midst of all the going wrong and he'll whisper in your ear and say, it's all your fault, you know. And that's one of his tactics. But here's the thing. I feel that God is calling us through what might be called a wake-up call to a place where we recognize once again that we need to be on guard and we need to be ready and we need to be focused and following Christ as he has called us to, or we're going to be subject to a whole bunch of stuff that probably, although Jesus prophesied it, could be dealt with if we follow his instructions and do things the way he calls us to. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, When you're learning how to drive a car, how many hours in New South Wales do a young person, under 25, have to do before they get given their provisional licence? Anyone know? 120 hours. So they have to do, yeah, the youngest person sitting down in in front of me says, I remember, you know, all the rest of us going, (laughs) back when I was, you know, a young lad, you didn't have to do any hours. You just like, they just walk in and say, sign this and off you go, you know. They've learned a few things over the years, and there's a reason why they say you've got to do 120 hours, right? Because if you chuck a young person into today's traffic without experience, it's likely that they're going to get sideswiped when they, you know, miss the first stop sign. Right? My daughter, when she was doing her, she's just now got her 120 hours up. I've got a, a 20-year-old who's just finally got her 120 hours up procrastinating a little bit about going for the test, but she's done all that. But I remember early in the piece where um, she was driving normally as a learner driver just along the road and somebody else, a young pea plater, who had all the experience they should have had, (laughs) 
didn't stop for a stop sign, went straight into the side of her, bang, while she's driving in the first 10 hours of her experience and almost wrote the car off and put her in a position where she didn't want to get back in the car for a while because of this accident. But the thing is, you don't know when you're out on the road when you're going to get somebody who's not paying attention. You don't know when you're out on the highway where you're going to have someone who's going to drift across in front of you. So what are you taught to do? You're taught to stay alert, right? And so they make this big deal that if you're getting tired... Now, I I spent Wednesday with my eldest daughter um, because a few things happened in her life and I just felt she needed a dad, right? You have those moments. Now, I had to go to work the next day and, uh, and we were getting to the point where I thought, this is around about the time I'm, I'm supposed to leave to get back to Newcastle from Sydney. And I just didn't feel right about leaving her right then. And so we went and did something else together and we hung out for a few more hours. And I didn't get out of there until after midnight. And by after midnight, I was tired. Like, I'm an older guy now. I don't have the recovery like I used to. And so after midnight on Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, I'm hopping in the car to drive home so that I can get home in time to get to work. And I'm, it takes me an hour because she's on the southern side of Sydney, so it takes me an hour. So by about 1 p.m., 1 a.m., I'm pulling out of Sydney and I thought... I'm not even sure I'm going to make it home right now because I'm so tired. So you're taught, if you get tired eyes, pull over and have a rest. Well, I knew that if I did that, I might not make it to work the next day. So I decided I'd make the call and I rang our bosses. We've got people on 24-7 in the transport industry. I rang them and said, hey, look, I'm not going to make it to work tomorrow because I'm still in Sydney and I haven't got home and... I know I'm not. And as a bus driver, you can't drive under fatigue. I said, look, unfortunately, I'm going to be... I've got fatigue things going on. So I made the call that I wasn't going to work first. I pulled over and had a rest. Wise. Now, the reason I tell you this is because as the body of Christ, as individual Christians and as a church and as a community of Christ... We need to be aware that just as we do in the natural, have to have rules of engagement. We have to have awareness. We need to be alert. You don't send your kid out to ride their bike on the street or anywhere near the road unless, first of all, you're 100% sure that they're going to be able to handle it, right? And so what happens, we do this in the natural, but why don't we do it in the spiritual? Why don't we do the same, take the same life precautions in our spiritual journey as we do in the natural? You can go through a whole bunch of things that in the natural we do. You don't put someone behind a lawnmower with bare feet on there, you know, because that's just stupid. And you only need to find someone who's got a couple of toes missing and ask them what happened, and they just go, lawnmower. <laughs> that, uh, it's true. It happens. You don't, like, you know, back in the day when the, when the, when the big saws, my, my cousin used to be a saw doctor, and he'd go into these places, and they'd, some of them didn't have guards on. I bought an um, a angle grinder the other day because I'm trying to be a bit of a handyman. <laughs> It's kind of, kind of working, not working, <laughs> working, not working, you know. But anyway, I bought this angle grinder. Lo and behold, get it home and it hasn't got a guard on it. So I go back and I said, "What's up with this?" Yeah, yeah, good on you. He goes, "You don't need a guard, you know, for an angle grinder." Said, yeah, well, my fingers might bear to differ. <laughs> so anyway, um, I took it back there and he said, "No, that's how we sold it." Well, you should have known that. Second-hand place. I don't buy stuff brand new, by the way. I'm just letting you know. Um, so I, I st- I've got an angle grinder sitting in the back of my car I can't use. I might, I might just attach something else to it, make a fan or something. <laughs> I don't know. But here's the thing, right? You've got all these rules in the natural that we learn to follow, and if we don't follow them, we suffer the consequences, right? We do. We suffer the consequences. And yet when we get to the point where 
everything's going wrong in our life. We wonder what's going on. And we ask God, what's the quest? What's going on? We're sitting in our cave. We're going, what the heck, God? And God kind of, he might just open up the book. Have a look at this one. Did you follow my instructions? (laughs) Did you follow the basics? Are you walking with me as I've called you to walk with me? And, And so what I find... In this day and age where, yes, um, we have a a greater appreciation for grace and a walking in in Christ in this amazing grace that we have, yet that doesn't diminish the value on walking right, walking the way God calls us to and being alert because Jesus made a big deal of being ready. Do you remember the story where um, Jesus talks about the, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins? And he's talking about, we, we believe he's talking about his return, yeah? But when you look at that story, I, I've alluded to this a couple of times already that Sheck and I have been watching that new series on that's available now called The Chosen. There's only eight series in there's only eight episodes that have been made so far so we've watched the first season it's all about jesus but it's just amazing how the the creators of this story have gone right into what it would have been like to have been with jesus when he told these stories so in the scene where he's talking about the wise virgins and the foolish virgins rather than he's just teaching them he's actually engaging with them saying so guys you know what it's like what's it like when you go to a wedding and you know and so he starts talking about you know and you, what are they doing they and the, you know the ones they've got their lamp lit right and what are they waiting for well they and that, they all answer oh they're waiting for the bridegroom you know to arrive yeah and so there's this unfolding story. So he just tells the story as it is. And then in the midst of it, they're all going, wow, yeah, I never thought about that way. So all he's doing is using practical illustrations like when you're teaching a child how to drive a car or where you, you know, you're learning a new job or where you're going to use an a, a, a angle grind or something like that. He's just using what they all knew because he's just telling the story. He's just asking them questions. So guys... You know when such and such happens? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what happens next? And they tell him, and then they go, yeah, well, this is what the kingdom of God's like. So this is the way he's telling his stories. And you're going, wow, that's really cool. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, he's making a point about being ready, whether it be for his return or just for whatever the bridegroom is doing. (laughs) True, eh? Jesus is up to something, and we've got to be ready. And so what I want to share with you today is there's two things that I feel that um, we need to do to deal with what I think in the church and in many of our own lives is a big issue. And the biggest issue is the word complacency. Complacency. Complacency is... The way a lot of people approach driving, you know, you know, you have people who just they sign themselves off off their 120 hours. They've only done three, but they've, you know, forged a few signatures and got their 120 hours up. Why? Because they want the license, but they haven't got the experience, and they go out there and the first thing they do, you know, or the complacency of someone who's just texting while driving. Do you know, as a bus driver, how often I come across people who are using their phone in their cars, because I'm a little bit higher up, I can see it. I quickly put my phone away and I go, look at that. (laughs) Don't look at me like that, see? (laughs) Now, you see, here's the thing. Complacency will tell us that it's okay. We can get away with this. We can do this. And we get ourselves into trouble, yeah? Complacency, I think, is the biggest deterrent or the biggest enemy of the Christian why? Because complacency will say, oh, we just get on with life. It's going to be, it should be okay. Grace is so awesome that I should just live a happy life, you know. God is so good, and the Bible says I'm the head and not the tail. Let's just take that one out of context and say everything's going to be fine from now on. You know, I'm just going to have to believe. And the reality is, is there's, there's a whole lot more going on than we first realised. So the two things we need to be ready so that complacency doesn't take over is this. We need to be ready or alert 
ready for, one, whatever God's doing all the time. Or, and two, we need to be ready for whatever the devil is doing. Simple. We've just got to be ready. We've got to be ready for whatever God's doing. We've got to be ready for whatever the devil's doing. How do we go, How do we do that? How do we get to a place where we're actually ready, that we're actually prepared, that we're actually on guard, that we're actually alert enough to know God's up to something, we've got to do what he's doing. Or God's up to, or the devil's up to something, we've got to stand in the gap and we've got to shut him down. We've got to make sure that we're, you know, and this is, I believe, where we have to get to. Why? Because we're coming into a season of acceleration. And if we don't get this sorted in our life, the complacency that we see right across the body of Christ is going to lend a lot of people sitting on their backsides going, what on earth is going on over at that church? What's going on down there? I thought we were the ones who were going after revival and God turned up there. Well, complacency would mean that God will turn up somewhere else. Or what about we just wake up one day and have a look at our society and say, "Uh uh-oh, it's gone to trash. How come that happened? All right? We've got to be ready for whatever the Lord's doing and ready for whatever the devil is doing. Jesus said... I only do what I see my father doing. Jesus is our greatest example. He won't do something unless he sees his father doing it. And so he was always ready for whatever God wanted to do. He was always asking the question, God, what are we up to today? Where are we going, Holy Spirit? What are we doing? I'm starting a new job. What's that about, God? Am I, is this the right job? Am I going to the right place? Am I doing? And it's not that God is saying wants to micromanage our lives, but He wants to be involved in everything. And the enemy wants to also be involved in everything. And we sometimes get so complacent that when He's actually involved, we go, "Ah, oh, it's just life. This is life. You know, I can't walk anymore. Oh, it's just life. I'm getting old." We curse ourselves rather than stepping into a place where we go, God, what's going on? Do you want to do something here? Like you're the God of mercy and you're the God of grace and you're the God who heals the sick and binds up the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. How come I'm captive right now? God says, that's a great question. We've got to be asking these questions, yeah? So I want us to just focus for a few minutes on a story from the Old Testament, which I think is a type and a shadow. Do anyone know, you know what a type and shadow is? A type and a shadow in the Old Testament is, so if you see a shadow of somebody, it's, it's, not, it's in their likeness, but it's not them, right? So it points to something. So if you see a shadow, it points to something. It points to the original, right? The, so if I'm casting a shadow, I look around, and my, yeah, there's a slight little shadow there. That's not me. This is me. Yeah? But the shadow points to something. So in the Old Testament, we see a lot of stories which are types of or shadows of something that's to come. All right? So it's happened already here, but it points to something. So here, this is a great story. Nehemiah. Who remembers Nehemiah and the broken walls? Yeah. So Nehemiah... Um, he one day, through revelation and a wake-up call from the Lord, realized, man, the, the city of Jerusalem is in ruins, and that's, a, that's Zion, and it should be rebuilt. And so he goes, and, and this extraordinary story of how he goes and gets faith from the Lord to go and rebuild the walls. And we, can't, we take up the story in Nehemiah 4... We're just going to read a few verses. Um, first of all, verse 1 and 2. Um, so he's, he's, take, he's got a group of people together and he's gone to the walls and he's, about, he's got the commitment from Nebuchadnezzar, I think it was, to actually do it. And he's gone now with a group of people to reestablish the walls. But then there's a local bloke who's not real keen, the local head honcho, Nehemiah 4, 1 to 2. But... It so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish, stones that are burned? See, Suddenly there's an enemy on the scene who doesn't want the rebuilding process to take place. 
Isn't it interesting that whenever we get into a place where we want to do God's work and what's God's work to rebuild or to establish something on earth as it is in heaven, to rebuild that which was broken down, to establish our lives according to the pattern of God, which was established at the beginning of earth, was lost through the fall of man and is being re-established now. So we are rebuilding something. Our life is all about rebuilding the broken walls. We look around us, we see brokenness. We see Jesus came to rebuild broken walls. And so there's an enemy who comes in and said, oh, that's not going to happen, not on my watch. And so there's an enemy that comes in to shut it down. But despite the criticism, um, which would maybe turn many people to fall back, and all that um, Sam Ballot said, because he came, first of all, <coughs> came in, <coughs> he first of all came in with words. Sorry, my, um, <coughs> just got something in the back of my throat. So he first of all came in with words, but Nehemiah ignored the words, and he just continued to walk. Thanks, Shecky. Work, sorry, not walk. <laughs> Okay, so the next time we see Sam Ballot, the, the work is well on its way. And uh, it's Nehemiah 4, verses 7 to 8. Now, it happened that Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Arabs, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. That they became very angry and all of them conspired to together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. What did Nehemiah do? Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made a prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Now, the, the bit that I haven't read because I didn't want to read the whole story is that each portion of the wall was rebuilt by the family who lived adjacent to that portion of the wall and they each had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other so it was that they were constantly in a state of readiness right they were working and they were ready to fight at any time they knew the enemy would come yeah there's a strong enemy because it's not just Sambalat and Tobiah. It says the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites all conspired. So it's, it's, it's several armies cons conspired against the Jews to shut them down, right? It was a conglomeration of the enemy coming from all sides to bring them down. And oftentimes in our life, we feel like it's not just coming from one side, it's coming from every side in our life that we come and we have attack coming at us. And Nehemiah said, what did he say? Nevertheless, we made a prayer to our God and we said a watch against them day and night. I want to identify three things about Nehemiah which can help us today. First of all, Nehemiah was a man of faith. Secondly, he was a man of prayer. And thirdly, he was a man of war. All right? And I believe that if we want to be ready for whatever God's doing and for whatever the enemy's doing, we need to be the same. We need to be men and women of faith, first and foremost. It is impossible to please God without faith. You can't tell me that if God says for you to do something, that he's not going to back you to get that thing done. But how often times do we step away from that which is assigned to us because the enemy has come in with all his words. He's come in with his attack, verbal attack, abuse, conspiring against us, undermining what we're doing. And we start out with this, oh, God's given me a word. God's set me apart. God's got a calling on my life. And we start going for it and we pick up our trowel. We start laying it on. We start putting the walls up and the enemy comes along and says, you can't do that. Well, you're stupid. Who do you think you are? Is that going to be built in a day? It's not going to be built in a day. It's going to take you forever. Do you know how long it took them to make that in the first place? Look at the amount of people you got here. How on earth are you going to get that done? 
It would require a miracle for that to happen. And you haven't got miracle in you. Just look at you. You're under, you're under bondage right now. You're under the authority of a foreign king. Who do you think you are? You guys were done years ago. You can't expect to stand up and take authority over this city and start to rebuild those walls. This is not going to happen. Can you imagine how the enemy would just get in your ear? And you've taken on the assignment of the Lord in your life and the enemy just you know in the night time he gives he's talking oh you can't do it you're not good enough and you've got the words of people coming back you know he'll bring he'll remind you what your dad said to you when when you when you were four he'll remind you what your teacher said to you in in, in year seven he'll remind you of what you know and and <clears throat> he might not say remember that he'll just do it and you'll remember it because that's your pattern. That's what you've always, that's, oh, it's always like, that's just life. And then he'll say, oh, it's just life. Your life is a mess. You might as well just pack up and go home. Let someone else do it. You don't have to do this. Surely God didn't tell you to do it. <laughs> and that's the way the enemy works. He gets, first of all, he's in your ear. What's he? He's a liar. He's a liar. The enemy is a liar. So, Nehemiah was a man of faith because he, he saw what had to be done. He inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, go for it. I'll back you. You know what the Lord does? He's, he'll back you because you have faith. The Lord's not going to back Nehemiah if he went back and hid. Say, oh, no, Sam Ballot's going to get me. No, the Lord will back Nehemiah because he sticks to the word of the Lord on his life and goes for it. It's a man of faith. What, what happened next? Then Balak came and threatened them with physical violence. Now it wasn't just words. It was, I'm going to destroy you. Steal, kill, destroy, destroy. Right? So he's going to destroy. What's he going to do? I'm going to rip your family apart. I'm going to send you to the dogs. I'm going to make sure that you got no money. I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to rip that house from underneath your, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You're not going to have a job by the end of the next week. You're not going to be able to stand up ever again. You're never going to be able to preach. Oh, I'll make sure of that, you know. That's the enemy. And he's going to come in with physical violence. Oh, I'll get you with sickness, I will. I'll bring you down and I'll convince you that it's all natural and it's all normal. Oh, yeah, it was my own silly fault. I did this and I did that. And yeah, yeah. And that, that virus came in and I shouldn't have gone there and I shouldn't have, you know. And the enemy will just work his stuff to get you. What did Nehemiah do? Verse 9. Oh, he made a prayer to his God. We made a prayer to our God. He was a man of prayer. So the first thing he did was he got on his knees and said, God, this is your project, not mine. <laughs> I'm just submitting it again to you, and I'm just going to keep working, and I want to do exactly what you tell me to do. And God says, right, um, put the trowel in one hand, put the sword in the other. Post a watch. Uh-huh. Isn't it interesting that he says post a watch on the walls? You know, the watchmen are really important. And in today's society, the watchmen, who's the watchman of your family? Probably, quite possibly your mum. A lot of mums are watchmen, right? Why? Well, I'm watching after my kid because he's watching the TV and I'm watching the kid, right? Yeah? That's what often happens, right? Oh, he's out mowing the lawn with his bare feet, silly goose. Yeah. No, you're not going out there with your thongs on to help your dad on the lawn, right? That's what mum will say. Why? Because she's the watchman, right? She's watching what the kids are doing. Why? Because she's got a such an... She carried the little blighter for nine months. She ain't going to give him up that quick. <laughs> I went through a lot to bear you, child, she'd say, you know, and, uh, and, and there's, a, there's an attachment between a mum and their son or their daughter that a dad, as, as, as doe-eyed that they can get when the, when the child arrives on the scene, um, the dad won't know, you know, and for any mum who's breastfed their child, and some people can't do that, but for, if you breastfed your child and you've got another, it's a, it's a connection. It's like your sustenance gave them sustenance even while they were in front of you rather than just being in the womb. And so there's this connection. And so the mum becomes a watchman. So when you have a watchman, a watchman is someone who is a protector, who looks out and goes, I can see the enemy coming. Hey guys, enemy's up. Pick up your swords. Come on, wake up. 
And a watchman is oftentimes an intercessor or a prayer warrior or a prophet who's not looking to be an accuser but to be a protector. And so we're called to look out for the people of God and to bring them to a place where they understand that the enemy is prowling around and you identify, I can see a lion over there, I can see a hyena over there, I can see, you know, and what's going on. And so what we do is we... We need to protect. But sometimes we're naive, right? I'll give you two examples of what naive looks like in a practical sense when it comes to spiritual warfare, right? So um, when I was young, younger, I was a pastor. Um, I was pastoring in a church where um, there wasn't a whole lot of Holy Spirit talked about. But I was the associate pastor and I was walking in the Holy Spirit and I was active in a prayer life and I knew a few things, but I wasn't allowed to talk about them from the pulpit yet because that was kind of not done. You know, I was charismatic in a conservative environment. And so what would happen is people would come to me on the side and they'd say, hey, look, we've got this trouble. Do you reckon you could come and pray with us? You know? And so I had this little side ministry of just praying with people, just on my own with their family. So I had this young family who were having trouble because their son just wouldn't sleep. He could not sleep. Like he would scream half the night and there's all sorts of things going on in their house. And and uh, and that, that would get, if you've, if you've been a a parent of a young child who doesn't sleep, it's hard because eventually your your sleep, your own sleep gets so deprived that you can't function and then you're grumpy all the time and life's hard, right? So they called me over and said, Paul, can you come over and pray? Just maybe there's something going on that we don't know about. So I walked in the house. The first thing I noticed, and it's funny how the Holy Spirit shows things, but this was quite prominent. I walked in the hallway and the first thing I noticed as I walked in the hallways is a picture of the father, so the, the husband of the house, receiving his black belt in karate prominently on the wall there, right? So as I walk in, I just mental note, hmm, that's interesting. Okay, so we get in there and we're talking away and they're telling me, describing the things and how long it's been going on and so on like that. And so I just casually say, oh, I noticed the picture in your wall. Just side side question, how long you've been doing? Oh, many years, you know, blah, blah, blah. When did you get that? Oh, about three years ago. How old's your son, you know? He's uh, not quite three. Oh, that's interesting, you know. And went through and said, do you realise that there's a real spiritual connection to a lot of these things? Um, and that it's quite possible. And my, my sense is that you may have inadvertently, by engaging in something that is very spiritual at its roots, have inadvertently invited into your home um, a spirit associated with this martial arts. And he was like, really? Never heard of that. And so I, I told him a story that I knew um, of similar nature, and he goes, wow, that's interesting. And so out of that conversation, he, he, he said, my parents-in-law are missionaries. I'll ask them, because he wanted a second opinion, right? So the next night, the parents-in-law came over, and he asked them, and they were like, yeah, totally, like... We've been praying that God would reveal this to you for years, <laughs> you know. And so, okay, well, what do I do? Well, let's let's get all that stuff and burn it, right? So they got a, a big barrel drum thing and they put it in the backyard and they got all the paraphernalia associated with, with um, the karate, the black belt, the whole bit, and put it in there and burnt it. And they prayed around in the circles of family and just prayed up. Because these missionaries, they've seen a lot of spiritual stuff, right? So they're kind of aware of some stuff that us Western people just aren't real sure of. And sure enough, it wouldn't burn real easy. And there was a whole lot of stuff going on in that barrel that they were thinking, what the heck, you know? Finally, it got burnt. And that night, their son slept through for the first time in his two and a whatever bit years of life and never had a problem after that. So they asked forgiveness, they cut it off, they broke off the curse because their parents-in-law kind of knew what to do and they, they dealt with it, right? So inadvertently, without awareness, because they're kind of asleep, you know what happens when you walk out into the into the lawn and not aware of the fact that you haven't put some solid shoes on when you're going to mow those lawns. It's like you're not thinking. 
And when you're not thinking, you'll just do something. And then in the midst of doing it, something will happen. The dog will bark behind you and your foot will go like this and it'll be, it's gone. Toe's gone. I'm sorry for the visual there, Shecky. <laughs> She's a visual person. But see, here's the thing, right? Lack of awareness or lack of alertness means that we can fall for anything. And the enemy, what he will do is he'll slip in underneath culture, right? Okay, take, um, take for instance, this is a, a fresh one for me. Um, take Harry Potter, for instance, right? Um, diabolical, absolutely shocking. Why? Oh, but it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with it. Yes, there is. Why? Because it teaches kids how to engage in witchcraft, right? How do I know that? Because I've seen it. Like we had, uh, we had, <laughs> Sheck and I had a, a share house in Sydney, and we had a lady who came and lived with us who was a Harry Potter fan. She had her own wand. She had everything all around paraphernalia. There was so much spiritual stuff going on in that room, you just wouldn't believe what was going on, right? Now, why is it fresh for me? Because one of my kids went to Melbourne last week to the Harry Potter thing to watch the watch the um, actual um, play that's on in Melbourne. Oh, I'm so like, oh, son, you know. And I'm like, what on earth is going on? You're talking about being a Christian, you engage in witchcraft. They go, no, it's not like that. But I'm telling you now, it is. Why? Because witchcraft is the subtle, like the, this kind of stuff is the subtle way of engaging a whole generation. What am I talking about? Have you noticed what Disney has put out just this last week? Uh, no, week before. So in the last, since 2020, they have released a, um, a cartoon which teaches children how to engage with demons. It's a fantasy realm, but it's actually a demon realm. So it's like you walk through a portal, which is kind of the way a lot of kids like their stories. They go into another realm, and in this other realm it's like there's demons everywhere, and they look like cartoon versions of what demons look like. And they've got all sorts. And then they've got the Satanists, who are kind of like the core, that everything revolves around the Satanism, because Satan is the god of this realm he's the big head honcho and they've all and it's interesting because like they have the the all the satanic symbols everywhere throughout this whole and it's it's on disney plus right now i subscribe to disney plus because i like mandalorian and stuff like that um, <laughs> um but i'm sort of like eh, this one's got me kind of messed up a bit so here's the thing. Why do I why do I identify like when we were kids? It was Sabrina, yeah, and Bewitched, you know. But it, if you if you if you track if you track the history, right, the witch, Sabrina or Bewitched, right, it was. You know, twinkle the nose and magic happens and stuff like that. Or Sabrina and the black cat and all that sort of thing, which is all just... And it was... We all... I don't know whether you did, but I watched it. And my parents were... They didn't really care too much, even though they were pastors and stuff, because it was innocent, right? But watch the progression. That followed by um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And... Yeah... Charmed, and of course Harry Potter, which has a series where it gets darker and darker and darker if you watch it. Like I haven't allowed myself even to watch it myself. I've watched, seen glimpses of it. Um, everybody at my old work used to call me Voldemort or something like that because <laughs> I had the bald head. Apparently, there's a guy there who's quite disgusting looking and he's got a bald head so they used to attack me with that one because um, I had I didn't have the beard back then so I just had this big nude nut you know and they just thought it was funny to call me that um, and I, I didn't know what they were talking about because I hadn't seen it right and then one day I thought I'm gonna find out what this guy is and I googled it and I found out oh Jesus that's not real nice <laughs> um, so progression where are we going to do you know that Noosa Temple of Satan has just been established? Okay? And they have put a pro forma to the government declaring that 
if they go ahead with the with the uh, with the the bill, religious vilification bill that's before government at the moment, that they, the statement was, we don't care whether you do it or don't. But if you do it, then we're going to engage at such a high level that we're going to put evangelists in schools, we're going to have school prayer meetings, we're going to go after it exactly the... And they didn't say exactly as the Christians do, but everything that they identified in this letter to the government from the Noosa temple of Satan, was that they want to engage just like the church because that's what they believe that they are. They're a church of Satan and their whole thing is all about that. Now, take the progression, right? Now, we're coming to a season where the enemy's going to ramp up just like God's ramping up. There's going to be acceleration on both sides of the fence. So why do we have to be alert? Duh! <laughs> I've been talking to some people who are not walking real close to the Lord lately and try and encourage them to say, come on guys, you're going to fall by the wayside so quickly because you're not engaged. The enemy has undermined your thinking, your processing, you're complacent to the point where you're not engaged in any kind of warfare you know, the spirits that are rising up against the church, there's blocking spirits, there's disengagement spirits. You're thinking, what on earth is he talking about? I'm telling you that when you look at the things that you've been going through, you look at, if you unpack why you're in a cave, why? Because, not because God is unfaithful. Not because his promises are not yes and amen. Not because God isn't about to do something amazing. Why is it that when we pray for someone, they don't get healed? Why is it that when we pray for 12 people with the same thing, they don't get healed? You know why? Because in certain circumstances, there are territorial spirits over regions and even over churches that have blocked the work of the Lord. And you think, well, how can that even be possible? Well, it is and it's because the church is complacent. It's because we are not awake up to the things. We're too busy fighting little battles at ground zero to stand together as one. See, now, imagine for a moment that every person in Nehemiah's wall was only concerned with themselves. And they were fighting with each other. Oh, look at how much they got done today. Look at how much we've got done. Aren't we just better than them? Gee, our family's so much stronger than that family over there. They don't even pray in tongues, you know. My goodness me, you know. And look at that guy. He's, he's all about the trowel, but he's got no sword. And, oh, look at that guy over there, you know. He's too busy eating food to let alone get anything done. Can you imagine the disunity? And you've got Sam Ballot and all his mob all lined up coming. This is, see, this, the church that, that we see in the world today is like a disunified Nehemiah's mob. <laughs> But the church that we're called to be is just like Nehemiah's, where everybody is concerned with the calling upon their own life, with the patch that's in front of them, and they're willing to help out their neighbor as in need, as kingdom, you know, where the kingdom of God, where the churches are willing to work together, where the families are willing to work together, where we all are engaged together and there are some people who are gifted to be watchmen who are on the fence and we're listening to them there's some who are gifted as prophets there's some who are gifted as builders there's some who are gifted as warriors but everybody has a task and even those who are putting bricks and mortar into the wall are still got a sword at their side so they're ready in case something happens this is where we are meant to be if we're to step into acceleration in this next season, we've got to be awake up to this stuff. We can't, we can't fiddle around with demonic stuff in our lives. You know the amount of people who, amount of guys who look at porn? That messes with your head. Guys, stop it, right? I used to be messed up by this stuff, and I can tell you now it'll destroy so much of your life to the point where you can't function. Get out of it. Stop. 
<laughs> we can't, guys, you can't do it anymore. You've got to be a wake-up. Ladies, whatever it is that you, you're caught up in, the gossip, the, the chit-chat by the side of the road, the, the, the getting caught up in chatting to each other about everybody else's business, it's got to stop. It's demonic. It's not just a fresh word out of somebody's mouth. Close your ears and shut your pie hole. Right? Because it's, it actually is destructive. Because, you see, the thing is, it's just like a bunch of people so concerned. Like, can you imagine all the guys are out? And I'm, I, I don't imagine for a minute that was just the guys building. I reckon the girls were helping. I reckon they were, you know, they are all involved. You know, they were making the sandwiches, you know, the flatbreads, whatever it is, you know, fetching the manor or something, you know. But they were, they were maybe mixing up the mortar and all sorts. Everybody, I reckon everybody would have been involved. Because do you know what happened? It was a miracle that took place. It took 52 days to build the whole wall. 52 days to build the wall. It was a miracle. God performed a miracle. It came through a man of faith who inspired a people of faith. It came through a man of prayer who inspired a people of prayer. And it came through a man of war who inspired a people of war who were willing to open up their eyes and be alert and go about the business together as one, communicating, resting together with a watchman on the wall, shifting so that there's always, 24-7 it says, day and night, there was a watchman positioned on each corner of the wall. Right? So everybody had their tasks to do and they're working in unison together. The devil will attack wherever we're weak. And if we're not aware of our weaknesses, whether it be um, a sin area of our life or whether it be a, an emotional area of our life or whether it be, you know, even in the church, you know, we might look at ourselves and well, where are we weak? Well, maybe our prayer life as a church isn't really strong at the moment. Well, let's, let's work on that. Work on our weaknesses. Work on the enemy's going to attack us where we're weak. If we're weak because we've got all this undermining current of gossip and commotion going underneath the surface, then there's disunity in the camp and that's where we're weak. And if we're weak there, the enemy will use it against us and undermine us and bring us down. What will the Lord do? When, when we pray become men of war, who are we fighting? Not against flesh and blood. Not against those who, you know, we don't fight against the people who speak against us. We fight against the spirit behind that. Right? The deception, the lies we speak against. And so we go to war against the spirit realm, in the spirit realm, not in the flesh realm. And we get caught up sometimes, and even those who, you know, don't like what's happening in the church or this and that and the other, they get caught up. This is why we end up in gossip, because we're caught up looking at what's in front of us and talking about that rather than what's behind that and dealing with that. And as a leader, the temptation is just to get so overwhelmed by what's in front of you sometimes that you just want to pack up and go try somewhere else. But God says, no, look beyond that and deal with something that's beyond it and behind it. That's why we're praying. That's why we're pressing in. That's why we're going after the presence of God. That's why we're fasting. That's why we're agreeing together in unity. This is, we're in a season of breakthrough and acceleration. And we're going to be shutting down the work of the enemy. He's the deceiver. He's the condemner. He's the accuser of the brethren. And if you feel deceived or if you feel confused or you feel like you're in a place where perhaps there's this constant accusation coming against you, it's not the work of man. Even though the devil might use man to get you, it's the work of the enemy. How do you defeat it? Well, get to the place where Nehemiah got to. Just focus on what God's doing. Do that. Pray and have your sword by your side. 
when we work together in this regard, oh man, the acceleration will happen, yeah? Prayer, warriors, rising. Prayer meetings, getting more intense. Worship, more engaged, intentional. Going about, you know, as a leader I have to get my act together and follow through on what I need to do as a leader and you need to get your act together and follow through on what you're called to do at your area of the war, yeah? So I'm going to wrap this up with this thought. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. And all the signs point to something happening in this next 10 years that is incredible acceleration and God doing what he's promised that he would do in the last days. Are we heading into a kingdom age? Maybe we are. Are we entering into an age where Christ has returned and where and and I don't know but what I do know is this Christ is returning and if we're to take um, Martin Luther's words which was many years ago but he made such an incredible statement he says preach as if Jesus were crucified yesterday rose from the dead today and is returning tomorrow in other words be on guard all the time it's like it's happening right now it's like it's so real that we're right in the midst of what Jesus did because today, a day is like a thousand years to Christ. So it's just like it all happened yesterday and it's about to happen tomorrow. Preach, live like Christ could come back at any moment. But here's the thing. In the midst of doing that, see, what do you do when you think Christ might come back? You're on guard. If you really thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow, my goodness, there'd be a whole bunch of stuff you wouldn't do tonight. Eh? You might spend the whole night in prayer even, you know. You might just engage. But see, there's a reality that, well, tomorrow you might get to sleep in because it's a public holiday, but you might not get to sleep in. You might have to go to work. And so you've got to order your life in such a way that you're diligent with what God has given you, but still live according to the fact that he's up to something. What's he doing? Open your eyes. Does he get you out of bed in the middle of the night and say, come pray with me? What's he getting you to pray for? What have you got put in your diary? What's God talking to you about? If he hasn't talked to you for a while, it's not because he hasn't talked to you for a while. He's talking louder than we're listening most of the time. And so engagement with God, even at a basic level, ought to be like that. And then what are we doing about what the enemy's doing? If you look around and you see the world going to trash and you see your family going to trash, don't hide in your cave. I know, yeah, we find ourselves there and God's not going to beat you up over getting there, but he will call you out of the cave. That's a given. He's going to call you out of the cave. He's going to say, come on, this is not kingdom living right now. Kingdom living is victory in Jesus Christ. Kingdom living is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But when we're complacent, we can't do anything. If we get sucked into lies and deception... If we engage in the wrong thing, you know, like don't be a wake-up. Be a wake-up, people. If you're a mum or a dad, watch you watch your kids. If you're smart, you won't necessarily be on their case all the time, but you watch what they're watching on the internet. You'll be careful that they're not engaged in porn or destruction or, or death or you know, you, you put in some safeguards. You might put a net nanny on there or something like that. Why? Because the kids are too immature to be able to handle the temptation of delving into something that's available to them. But are we any better? <laughs> are we any better? Come on. We're the church, and we can speak like that. this in church. Right? We can speak like that to one another in love and call each other out in love. We haven't got the right to go and, 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 and damn the world. We're not judges, but we are to call each other to account. Why? Because we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside, and we're meant to honour the Word of God and the teachers and, and the leaders that God has placed over us. Yeah? So let's, let's, let's get on with that for a start. All right. How do we wrap this up? <laughs> I believe that 
there's a wake-up call coming to the church. There's a wake-up call in this message for us. There's a wake-up call in my heart as I enter 2020. I can't do 2020 like I did 2019. It's not going to work, and nor can you. Nor can you. Right? None of us can go back and relive the past and say, that was good, let's just do that again. No, today's a new day, it's a new season. Um, we're going to higher levels, and we've got... I'm not going to go there. I was going to say high levels, higher devils. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age who are against us. Um, they war against us, kill, steal, destroy. They're out to get you. They're out to stop your kids. They're out to shut down a generation. They're out to shut down the church. Don't be naive into thinking it's not true. Let's get on our knees. Let's wake up in the mornings with a fresh start every day. Okay, God, what are we up to today? Whether you get up at 6 or 4 or 8 or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. It's all about your walk with the Lord, not mine. Whatever time you get out of bed, whatever time you go to bed, whatever time you spend time with the Lord, just make sure you do. Set aside time with him. Get into the word. Help help each other out. Encourage one another. Join a small group. Join a prayer group. Um, Diarise. In other words, put in your diary the things that the Lord is talking to you about. Go back and read over the stories that God has shared with you. I found one popped up this week from 2017 where I just got into a place where I said, Lord, talk to me. And I encourage you to do this every now and then um, where you just start writing whatever you feel God's saying. Just write it down. I wrote three pages of what I felt God was saying back on the 24th of April, 2017. Why do I know that? Because it popped up this week in one of the diaries as I opened it. I was looking at it and going, whoa. And I could hardly read my writing. <laughs> must have been early in the morning. Um, well, actually, it could be just that I can't write very well. Um, but it's like a doctor's writing. But anyway, I, I got through it and I was sitting there going, it was as if I wrote that for today, for 2020, for my life. I was like, that is incredible. Because that particular diary, that was the only entry in it. I had gone to a different diary after that because I didn't like the size of it. But I left that one sitting there and I pulled it out this week, accidentally, because it looked like the one I'm using now. I opened it up and I go, hang on, this isn't the one I'm using. Oh, there's an entry there. What's that from? And I read it, I'm going, whoa. That was, God was all over that, hey? Praise God. So, prayer. Powerful, important. Faith first. Come on. Establish yourself rooted in faith. You can't please God without it. Man of faith, woman of faith, rise up in the hour. Cover everything that you do in prayer. Your family, your friends, your church. Just soak it in prayer. If you don't know what to say, pray in tongues. And pray in tongues as often and as long as you possibly can. And when you've, you, you, you think you're done, pray some more. Right? Just where you're driving, nobody's around, just whisper it under your breath. You're going to serve someone over the counter, and then you go, hi, how are you? And the attorney, and you know, you do what Sheck did and when she was working on, um, working on the phones, and oh, sorry, hello. <laughs> you sort of get, no, you better not do that. Um, and be men and women of war. Be men and women of war. Don't, don't let this stuff happen to your family. It's happened to the family, to other people's family. Stand in the gap. Get on the, on the wall, right? Your mom, if, if you're a mum, you're not going to let the kids go out onto the grass with bare feet when dad's mowing the lawns. You're just not. You're not that stupid. Dad might be that stupid, but you're not, mums, right? So when it comes to this, be a mum <laughs> looking out for your kids, right? Seriously, this is where we've got to be. Look out. This is what I'm finding. I've got to be like that as a pastor. I've got to be like a mum looking out for my kids, even though you're, half of you are as old as me or older. 
It's not like that, though. It's just I've got a calling to be a leader, to be a shepherd. And so the best way I can do it, being that I walk, you know, work 40-plus hours a week, is to pray and make phone calls and encourage people and every now and then drop in and say hello. All right. That's it. Adios, amigo. No. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I just bless what you're doing. I bless your word. I thank you, Father, that... Um, you have given us a wake-up call and you are causing us to open our eyes and see what you're doing and engage at a different level. I pray, Father God, that, that we would be a wake-up to what you're doing and we'd be a wake-up to what the enemy's doing. And Lord, that we would, uh, we would know that we're not in the battle alone, that we are side by side with our brothers and sisters and we will get this wall built in incredibly quick time is there's acceleration lord it's acceleration we know it can't happen in the natural but when you're involved anything's possible lord 52 days it took to rebuild the walls of jerusalem because there was such an intense endeavor upon their hearts to do it your way and lord as we are called in this season in this decade to uh, to establish something upon the earth to build your kingdom upon the earth, Lord, we will. It'll be done the same. It'll be because we're we're people of faith, we're people of prayer, and we're people of war. And so I pray that you would wake us up as a church to see that that whether you come, whether the enemy comes, we're ready. And so we commit ourselves again to this in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au.